faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. People believe tall buildings at a single bound. The instant of ship town is now the man of steel. Superman! Hello there. No, I'm, I'm actually talking to you. Yes, you. Welcome, my friend, to Superman Forever Radio. You know me, I'm the mild-mannered host of this little show, and my name is J. David Weeder. And I'm glad you're here for this, the 62nd episode. In 1984, a movie came along that rocked my perceptions. Supergirl. A tie-in to the Superman film series starring Christopher Reeve. Now, when the promotional materials and TV commercials began appearing, the question that I had was, Super Who? And to be fair to my younger self, most of my Kryptonian consumption had come from what was on the spinner racks at a grocery store or gas station, as well as the Super Friends and the Filmation Superman and Superboy cartoons. None of these really featured Supergirl. Now, sure, I knew about Crypto and Lana Lang, but there was a girl who had Superman's powers? And she was hot? Now, admittedly, even at seven, I was smitten with Helen Slater. I had a huge crush on her. So I thought that seeing Supergirl would be a good idea. Well, the movie was all over the place. It was pretty bad. Now, Helen Slater did a great job. But let's just say I'm looking right at you, Faye Dunaway. That's assuming Faye Dunaway actually listens to the show, which would be very, very, very awkward. But... It did introduce me to the concept of a female derivative of Superman, even though I was made aware of Mary Marvel before this. But Mary Marvel was organic to Captain Marvel and the Marvel family. The trio worked differently than the Superman mythology. And yet, Mary Marvel plays into Supergirl in a big, big way. To give a little bit of Supergirl history, in Superman 123, a blonde-haired female sharing Superman's power set as well as a version of his costume fitted with a skirt, was wished into existence. No, really. Jimmy Olsen got his hands on a wish-granting totem and wished for a female companion for Superman. That version of Supergirl sacrificed herself to rescue Superman from Kryptonite and was wished back out of existence. But the trick is, it was all a test. DC wanted to see how a female rendition of a Superman would fare, and she fared really well. Fans wrote in and wanted to see more of her, so this is where Mary Marvel fits in. Because Mary Marvel was the first female derivative of a male hero, and she in turn was created by Otto Bender, who went to work for DC after Fawcett Comics was sued out of existence. So when it was decided a, that a Supergirl would be added to Superman's mythology, Bender was the only one to write the story. See how that works? Anyway, Supergirl was reintroduced as Superman's cousin Kara Zor-El in Action Comics 252, rocketed from Argo City, which had survived the destruction of Krypton thanks to a giant bubble. And then, well, Superman hid her away, and sent his only blood relative on the planet to live in an orphanage because she would cramp his style. At least that's apparently what the writers thought, allegedly. But Supergirl became a part of the mythology and even forged a little niche and supporting cast of her own, and then she died. Well, to be, to be fair, she had a few costume changes, and then she died. 
Uh, the Maid of Might sacrificed herself to save her cousin when the crisis wiped everything clean. And the post-crisis era Supergirl was refitted as being a shapeshifter from an alternate universe to maintain that Superman is the only Krypto uh, remaining Kryptonian. That is, until Jeff Loeb reintroduced Kara Zor-El as Supergirl in Superman Batman number 7. This Kara was pluckier, a bit less adjusted to Earth than her cousin, and quickly got her own series detailing the teen's heroics and her journey to adjust to her new planet. And, as the new Krypton saga was ramping up, writer Sterling Gates took on that ongoing series along with artist Jamal Igel. And this was a team and a run that I absolutely adore. And I got to actually meet Jamal Igel at the 2011 Superman Celebration in Metropolis, Illinois. He was absolutely awesome. But I definitely wanted to cover some of this run. The problem was, about 90% of the run of this, this creative team was in New Krypton. And since I'm covering all of those issues in early 2014, I sought out the Bizarro Girl storyline, which occurs after. And that's what we'll actually be covering this week. And since it occurs after New Krypton, which we haven't covered, I'm going to be avoiding spoilers as much as I can and kind of glossing over some spots that kind of are very, very, very light spots, um, kind of ongoing storylines that are building up. And after this podcast promo, I'm going to return to dive into Supergirl issues 53 to 57. I will see you in two and two. Mr. Scott, shall we give the Enterprise a proper shakedown? I would say it's time for that, sir. I... Before this drama unfolds, we give welcome to the ones named Kirk and Spock. You! What planet is this? Which one of you is the captain? Violate the treaty, Captain. Sir, someone is stealing the Enterprise. What are you scratching at? <laughs> Humans make illogical decisions. Destruct sequence completed and engaged. No! Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell, the two true freaks, every month for a new episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday. Every month you will get a classic episode of Star Trek the Original Series, a Star Trek comic, and who knows what else. Episodes of Star Trek Monthly Monday can be found for free at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Libsyn spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. 
They can also be downloaded for free from iTunes. And we are back to dive into the Bizarro Girl storyline, which, as I mentioned before the break, ran through Supergirl Volume 5, issues 53 to 57. This would be the cover dates of August to December of 2010. Sterling Gates wrote all five issues, with Jamal Eigel penciling issues 53 to 56, with inks by John Sabal. Issue 57 was penciled and inked by Bernard Chang. All of these issues are reprinted in the Bizarro Girl trade paperback, which does include some original material. However, I am reading from my floppy copies, which, as I'm going to tell you a little bit later, ended up being kind of a disastrous idea to some extent. Uh, This story uh, would, as I mentioned, begin putting the pieces back together after New Krypton. And we start seeing a solid status quo form for Supergirl for the first time in this character's existence. It also serves as a bit of a sequel to the Escape from Bizarro World storyline we saw in Action Comics. These were the issues with the goons Eric Powell taking over art, which introduced the idea that Bizarro could replicate other Bizarro clones, all of which took place on a cubed planet full of these clones. So, beginning with issue 53, a story entitled Fallout, which has a cover by Jamal Eigel that remains really my favorite rendition of Supergirl. She's running at the camera as bullets fly at her. She's doing the shirt rip with a confident smile on her face. And I actually have a slightly reworked version of this with a different background, kind of a Power Starburst style background, in a print signed by Jamal Eigel. Every time I pass by that print, I smile because it is just so spot on. The issue opens with a nightmare stemming from the events of New Krypton, with Kara under attack physically as well as emotionally. Kara awakens, realizing that in her sleep, she has burned scorch marks into the ceiling of her room, much to her dismay. At this point, Kara is living with Lana Lang under the guise of Lana's cousin, Linda Lang, a play on her previous secret identity of Linda Lee. Lana, still in charge of LexCorp at this time, checks in on Kara the next morning as the Girl of Steel is painting the scorch marks in her room. Kara tells Lana that she wants to be called Linda full-time, After the traumatic events of New Krypton, she wants to break all ties with her Kryptonian heritage, and that includes Supergirl. So Kara, I mean Linda, tells Lana that Supergirl is going away for good. I know what you're thinking. We have a teen hero giving up on their identity. I mean, how many times have we seen Spider-Man quit the tights? Yes, spoiler, Supergirl's sabbatical is short-lived, so hold your judgment, but... New Krypton was horrific in ways that you won't believe, and Kara's storyline was definitely the strongest on an emotional level. So I don't judge this at all, especially when you factor in that Kara is about about 17 or 18, and she's not only going through normal teenager-come-a-young-adult things, she has to deal with being an alien. And unlike Clark, Kara actually had a childhood on Krypton, only to wake up one day to find herself on Earth and everything she knew was destroyed. So she gets a big pass. Anyway, back to the story. At Star Labs, the female Dr. Light and her new assistant, Jose Delgado, a.k.a. Gangbuster, are conducting an experiment when something smashes through the lab, shattering windows and causing a massive amount of damage. Dr. Light suits up in her superhero togs and takes Gangbuster to investigate what just hit them. This may be the best Dr. Light, as in the Asian female hero version, that I've seen in a while. 
Eigel actually remember him saying in Metropolis that one of the biggest pieces of his costume aesthetic was symmetry, which got my attention immediately because that's right up my alley. And his Dr. Light isn't a redesign, but Eigel has a great sense of symmetry in body type, poses, the way he presents and lights a costume. And let me say this up front. One of the biggest reasons that he is my favorite Supergirl artist, save for Jose Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, is that he gets it. Too many artists go for sluttiness or the Madonna whore Supergirl. You know what I mean. An innocent what-did-I-do expression as she's in a very obnoxious cheesecake pose, maybe the wind's blowing her skirt up, so on and so forth. Just making liberal use of the midriff, the bare midriff and the short skirt of the costume. Eigel's Supergirl is sporty. She's cute, but she's also canny and real. She's a teenager whose costume lays on her body correctly. Granted, she doesn't look overtly conservative. She's not Amish, after all, but she doesn't look like she is putting her body out for display. The costume actually appears appropriate because I buy that she has some maneuverability in it, which lends itself nicely to a sleek hero who flies around. But I'm off track already. However, let me add to this that I would have said this anyway at some point, so all good. Elsewhere in Metropolis, Linda and Lana Lang are having lunch at a cafe when whatever fell from the sky at Star Labs whizzes by, shattering the windows of the diner and generally all glass in the area. It's a disaster. Lana is unhurt, and of course, well, so is Supergirl, thankfully, but the news is reporting that something has crashed in Centennial Park, causing shockwaves. And, wait, there was a huge panel at the top of this page with people being thrown around and all kinds of glass shattering. How did that TV survive unscathed? I have a theory on that. I think the Expositional News Network, copyright Michael Bailey, have a deal to put TVs in public places, and those televisions are indestructible. Whichever, I don't know. In the park, Dr. Light and Gangbuster get to the crash site, which is covered in ice. Whatever crashed is deep within a dark crater, which Dr. Light and Gangbuster go into and find themselves under attack. Gangbuster is set on fire, fire, as we interject a scene of Lana chewing Linda out for not even going to check out the crash. She has a responsibility. And the issue closes with a horrific chalk-white-skinned creature with blonde hair leaping at Dr. Light, and we pull back as the glow from the female hero suddenly goes out. Three additional things on this issue I didn't hit on as I was going through it, which is more of a prologue to the story. A... I love that we get a pullback from the interior cave and the subtlety of Dr. Light going dark. Very, very good storytelling. This was a well-done setup. I immediately wanted to get to the next issue as I was reading this monthly at the time. B. Lana chewing out Kara or Linda or whatever you want to call her makes sense. Think about this. Lana has known Clark as a man, as a kid even. She saw him as a person developing. She knew him as he was putting together this idea of Superman before the idea of Superman. She's a veteran of the Clark Kent school of superheroing. She has she's been paid, pay, you know, really been applying her patience with Kara, knowing that the kid is working some things out. She's also been patient in giving Kara some direction as, as she suggests college while they're eating at the diner. But when she sees Kara going all apathetic as people may be injured or in trouble or worse, 
this is when she has to step up and call her out. So it makes perfect sense, and I appreciate that it's Lana that actually does this. Because it's not just natural, Lana really is the logical choice to shepherd Supergirl. And then C, or finally on this issue, I hated that DC would throw previews of other comics at the end of their issues. It threw me off as to where the book I bought ended and some issue of another series that a lot of times I couldn't care less about began. But on to Supergirl 54, Looking Glass. This time featuring a cover by Superman Earth One artist Shane Davis. And this time we open at the crash site, where people are still losing their minds and scurrying every direction. This leaves a young boy in a red t-shirt with yellow trim and yellow lightning bolt looking for his parents. And no, no, it's not Billy Batson, but I dig the reference. Um, As cars are on fire with gasoline leaking everywhere, there is still danger, and the boy almost gets fried when a car does go kablooey, only to be rescued by Jimmy Olsen. Wait, Jimmy Olsen? On a motorcycle? Jimmy gets the kid to safety and leaves the boy and his and this very reader here stunned. To quote the kid in the book, Jimmy Olsen is cool. Now I mentioned the kid in the red shirt alluding to Captain Marvel, which will always get my approval. And then the Jimmy Olsen rescue. Okay, I, I admit it. We've seen Jimmy Olsen man of action in the past. Last episode to be specific. But Jimmy was experiencing a little mini resurgence aside this and his one-shot special. It seems the edict was to make Jimmy Olsen cool again. And I hate to admit it, but mission accomplished. Uh, Anyway, Jimmy makes his way to ground zero for the crash with his camera at the ready. But as he gets close to the steaming site, the bizarro Supergirl leaps out at him. And then we get this horrific bizarro girl page as she leaps through the steam at Jimmy and the reader. Now why, while bizarro, it's a bizarro Supergirl. Uh, I hate to spoil that, but... I think the title of the of the storyline kind of gives that away. But Bizarro is drawn in a bit of a comical fashion, with kind of the crow magnon brow and pronounced chin, as well as being overly bulky. Bizarro Girl is actually quite unsettling. She's thin, and while her skin is chalk white and filled with cracks, it isn't exaggerated. And it has expressions which make her look like, not a zombie, but something more. The best comparison I can make is to the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who, which would any sci-fi fan would probably pee their pants at. It, it really does work, and as we'll see later, it works on other levels as well. In the book, we switch scenes to Kara herself, laying in her room, restless and thankful that she installed mass-loaded vinyl in the walls to block out the sounds of the world from her super hearing. While she isn't rushing out as Supergirl, it seems that a part of her isn't quite sure how to approach normal civilian life. It's a really quick and simple scene that says quite a bit. I love the vinyl installed to help with Kara's super hearing, which isn't just dropped in for exposition, it segues to Kara admitting she is glad that she can't hear what's going on because she can hide herself away and pretend the world outside isn't in turmoil. How many of us haven't felt like that? And we aren't even hiding from the fact that we could be saving people and fighting villains. Sometimes we just want to ignore an empty bank account. Speaking of civilians at the Daily Planet, pictures from Jimmy Olsen's camera start hitting their servers, and Perry and Lana check them out, and they are horrified when they see Jimmy getting dragged into the crash crater against his will. Lana has the intern send her a pic, which she then forwards to Kara's uh, computer, and follows that up with a call to hers, basically say, get your butt out there, 
because there is a bizarro with your face tearing up the streets. This is another awesome scene. When Lana has had enough of Kara's wallowing in self-pity, it's the crapper get off the pot speech, which is ironic since Lana ducks into a bathroom to make the call. But you kind of cheer Lana's attitude as she puts it, we're supposed to be fighters and not sit around and mopers. Yes, heck yeah. And then we find out that Cat Grant, who's had a contentious, to put it very mildly, relationship with Supergirl, has overheard the conversation, which plays out in the two issues that follow this storyline. It's not important to our story, but definitely made me gasp at the time. Uh, Kara slips into a hidden closet where her Supergirl suit hangs, along with a red headband, calling back to the pre-crisis Jazzercise costume. There's a brunette wig in here, calling back to how she wore a wig in her guise of Linda Lee, her Flamebird helmet, as well as headlines about her. It's very much like the scene in the 1989 Batman when Michael Keaton suited up. You're totally on board. You're ready to go. Meanwhile, elsewhere, Jimmy Olsen awakens in the caverns below Centennial Park to find that he, Gangbuster, Dr. Light, and many more have been taken prisoner by this newly arrived Bizarro Girl. Supergirl takes to the skies, back in full costume, arriving in the cavern just in time to save Jimmy Olsen from potentially getting killed. Supergirl and Bizarro Girl have a throwdown with Bizarro Girl exhibiting similar yet opposite power sets. For example, Fire Breath instead of Freeze Breath, Ice Vision instead of Heat Vision, which we are fairly familiar with thanks to the more recognized Superman Bizarro doppelganger. But there are a few things we haven't seen before. The fight is fairly evenly matched until Kara disturbs the ship Bizarro Girl arrived in, and then Bizarro Girl cracks out the opposite of X-ray vision solid vision and we close the issue with Kara frozen as a statue oh crap now let's not mince words we know Supergirl is going to get out of this and the next issue was solicited and all but to quote the great bard Steven Tyler of Aerosmith life is a journey not a destination sometimes it's about how a hero gets out of a jam not if and with our next issue Supergirl 55 we find out how but this issue holds a dubious distinction for me. This is the first comic since I started podcasting to get damaged. It's true. When trying to smooth out some pages, the middle pages came out of the book, but it was bound to happen at some point, and we were 61 episodes without incident, which isn't bad, but now that counter has gone back to zero. Bummer. Anyway, Supergirl 55 has a cover which features Bizarro Girl hunched over looking menacing as glass shards fall around her. And within those shards are images of Kira looking shocked at this twisted mirror image of herself. For these last three issues of our books, covers were done by Amy Reader. Now she has a really bouncy animated quality that, that just fits perfectly. And while these are some of Jamal Eigel's last issues, which broke my little heart, Reader has a grasp on the same concepts that Jamal put forth in his art. And what, what a really great distorted set of images on top of that. But the story begins on Bizarro World, where the citizens have made their way to the Anti-Arctic and Bizarro's unsecret fortress. They are clamoring for help, and when they find him about to board a rocket with his cousin already on board, the crowd gets angry. And they force Bizarro to stay as they launch the rocket off the world. And Bizarro Girl gets away as her cousin must stay behind to face something called the Godship. 
So Bizarro World makes its first reappearance since it was reintroduced in Action Comics 855 to 857. And hey, I hadn't noticed that. 855 to 857, and here we are in Supergirl 55. See? Wacky. Anywho, Jamal really does a good job of merging his style with Eric Powell's stylized animated art. It's not that he's aping Powell's style by any means, but more leaning towards the look of that storyline to create a cohesive world. Uh, The Colors, by Jamie Grant and Jim Devlin, really do a lot of the heavy lifting as well, to great effect. This really does feel like a good partner piece to the Jeff John story, which is a very, very good thing. In the present, which is six weeks later, Bizarro Girl is admiring herself in the statue that was Supergirl when Jimmy starts yelling at her. This gets her attention, and she doesn't like when people yell. So she's about to use her flame breath on Jimmy's face when Supergirl decks her with the statue of Supergirl. How meta is that? Turns out that Kara learned some of the Flash's vibrating techniques and escaped, which is sweet action. And one one of the reasons that I liked this rendition of Kara so much was that she was the adopted little sister to the DC Universe. She trained with Amazons. She learned to fight with Batman. And here we see the Flash teaching her some super speed vibrating techniques. But more than that, the Flash believes that Kara will be fast enough to pull off the technique, even when she doesn't believe in herself. This is a Supergirl who is the polar opposite of her Silver Age rendition in that she's acquainted with the world, not hidden away. And she really, really benefits from these connections. But as Supergirl is explaining her escape to Jimmy, Bizarro Girl gets a good sucker punch in and sends Kara flying out the caverns into the office building across Metropolis. Supergirl doubles back to see Gangbuster putting up a good but futile fight against Bizarro Girl, and Supergirl returns the favor from earlier and punches Bizarro Girl high into the air. After checking out Gangbuster's broken hand, Kara says that she has an appointment with a doctor. There's a moment that gives... This is a moment that gave me pause, I should say, as Kara slams into the office building and Kara takes this moment to make sure everybody is alright. She seems to be right back on track as soon as she puts on the costume, which is a stark opposition from two issues ago when she wasn't going to investigate the crash in Central Park, or Centennial Park, pardon me, the analog. She respects the uniform, which is a smart, mature hero, beyond her years actually. She knows what that uniform means. Anyway, Supergirl and Bizarro Girl then engage in Fighty McFight and sign copyright Andrew Leyland. But Supergirl admits she's trying to distract Bizarro Girl because, like Kryptonians, Red Sunlight will rob the duplicate of her powers. And Dr. Light is handily able to channel that same energy, which she uses to blast Bizarro Girl with Red Sun energy from orbit, allowing Supergirl to knock out the creature with one flick of her finger. Okay, another bit I like about this Kara, which is also, it just doesn't come out in full force until she's in uniform. She uses that old noggin. Sure, she has the strength, the speed, the vision powers, but they haven't been successful so far, and Bizarro Girl is also extremely powerful. So Supergirl uses her resources, such as the scientific expertise and power set of Dr. Light. And it's hard not to laugh as Kara charges full throttle. I mean, she's really going at it, right at Bizarro Girl, and she just comes to a complete stop and flicks her right on the head. She has an attitude, and that is a lot of fun. Now, with the threat over, Dr. Light tells Kara that they will imprison and study the creature, which doesn't sit right with Kara. If Bizarro Girl is a refugee from another world, she's very much like Kara, and the comparison is too much. 
So she knocks out Dr. Light, takes Bizarro Girl, and hijacks the doppelganger ship, setting course back to Bizarro Girl, Bizarro World, pardon me, and so ends issue 55. With Kara making an, well, it's called an unconventional decision. I was hooked, and she was quite frank with Dr. Light, telling her, you're going to be mad at me later, and then she belts her. So is she doing the right thing? Does her actions render my talk of maturity moot? No, and here's why. Superman is predicated on doing the right thing, not always the proper thing. After all, Superman does operate outside the law to some extent, and no, no, Michael Bailey, you don't need to send me an email to remind me that Superman was deputized. Keep your eye on the road and the other drivers. Hence, I added these to some extent. But Kara's decision does show a certain level of awareness. Dr. Light sees a dangerous alien menacing the streets, which is true. Kara, however, sees a dangerous alien menacing the streets because she's lost, alone, confused, on a world that she doesn't know. So she makes a decision to do the right thing. However, in the moment, she does lose a bit of the maturity that I was talking about because she is motivated by pure emotion. She isn't the seasoned hero that Superman is. And she may be fairly well-rounded, but she is still a 17-year-old girl who just went through hard times. Just times that are so rough that the Hallmark Channel and Lifetime refuse to make a movie about it because, in their words, it's just too depressing. Um, So the decision was to do the right thing, and the actions leave a little bit to be desired. But if she isn't seeking out new ways to grow as a hero, especially a young hero, then, well, let's be honest, the book screeches to a halt. And speaking of screeching to a halt, I'm actually going to take a quick break. And while I do so, you should enjoy another podcast promo courtesy of the Superman Podcast Network. And when I come back, you and I shall journey together to Bizarro World. Gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, The New 52 Adventures of Superman, Superman Forever Radio, I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Kara's World Podcast. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cameron Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we are back to Journey to Bizarro World with Supergirl 56. Once again, this features a cover by Amy Reader, which has Supergirl and Bizarro Girl in a bit of a yin and yang design. Their capes encircle the center of the image, which features the Daily Planet, both regular and Bizarro versions on either side of the grappling combatants. And we pick up right where we left off with the Bizarro ship en route to Bizarro World. Kara is surprised that the hibernation gas can affect her and falls asleep, having another nightmare. 
Then she awakens to a real nightmare as the ship is coming out of its sight of its sort of hyperspace and heading right for Bizarro World. Worse yet, nearly half of Bizarro World appears to be destroyed, leaving large debris and bodies floating in space. And this scene is horrific. There's just a huge blast coming from one side of the cube planet, which is sending one female Bizarro flying through space. This shock is offset uh, by a page earlier by Supergirl's reaction, which apparently includes a Kryptonian curse word. Harder to say than you think, folks. Kryptonian curse word. Try it three times real fast. Adding to the humor is Bizarro Girl telling Kara that that kind of language is unladylike. And suddenly we're in this horrific scene, and Bizarro Girl becomes likable just like that. Which is smooth, non-jarring, it's a good transition. Considering that an issue ago she was a murdering monster, all you have to do is add personality. It's like lighting a room differently, and don't think that the narrative has forgotten that Bizarro Girl killed one of the prisoners. Because she... well, I mean, just because she's likable doesn't mean that the story has to be forgotten, as far as what came before. Indeed, the ship does crash into Bizarro World, and the inhabitants are immediately angry to see Bizarro Girl. Kara stands up for her companion, shocking the attackers with her appearance. Bizarro Lex Luthor explains that the planet's destruction was thanks to the Godship, which he called down by accident. And then Bizarro Lex Luthor gets eaten. No, no joke. Green monster that looks like this plant from Little Shop of Horrors comes down from the sky and eats Luthor. Both Bizarro Girl and Supergirl try to fight the green creature, but they aren't too successful. Luckily, our old friend Bizarro Number 1 blasts it with his freeze vision. And with this return to Bizarro World, the color scheme once again reverts back to the semi-monochromatic theme. Uh, scheme or theme, whichever you want to use. And Supergirl's primary colors remain bright, giving her a welcome-appropriate contrast. And then we have Bizarro Lex getting suddenly eaten mid-conversation. It's one of those things that you laugh at and immediately feel bad for laughing. But it sets up this threat and how quickly and efficiently these creatures can attack. It gives you a jump, that's for sure. And it makes sure you're paying attention to the book, so I am indeed paying attention. Bizarro Girl and her cousin have an emotional reunion that brings Kara to tears. And all three head back to the fortress where Bizarro shows Kara a holographic image of the godship. And this thing is massive. And insect-like. But when I say that it's massive, I mean it's like... It's pulled up next to Bizarro World, and it's like a Cadillac sitting next to a Mini Cooper. But the ship will send these insect-like creatures down to the planet, where they eat everything in sight, and then return to the ship, providing it fuel. When the attack started, Bizarro Number 1 didn't fare well against his opponents, so he used the blue sun power to make a super-powered copy, and that, my friends, is how Bizarro Girl came to be. And the change of perspective to Bizarro Girl continues in a genius bit of narrative. Since we are on Bizarro World, everything is opposite, so our, or opposite-ish, as, no, as Bizarro Number 1 points out. This means that while Bizarro Girl was a monster in our world, she is the norm here and Kara is the alien. So the softening of her character is perfectly tuned to her environment. And that appearance that I mentioned that makes her look horrific, it also makes her look softer and more human, a little bit more relatable. And we accept this because up is down, left is right, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Now, knowing a bit more about the godship, Kara decides to fly into space and check it out. She knew it was big, but she didn't know that it was alive. 
And Jamal, Jamal Eigel just outdoes everything. He, with a two-page spread of Kira next to the godship, with a spread that we, we have to turn like... I hate to admit this, we have to turn it like a centerfold to appreciate it. It's like nerd porn, I guess. Uh, Kara is next to this ship with the light of a blue sun glinting off of it. It's terrifying, and it's wonderful to look at. For Jamal's last issue, he basically decided to punch us right in the face with a hammer of awesomeness. The ship slaps Kara back to the planet's surface, and when she gets back to her feet, she tells Bizarro Number 1 and Bizarro Girl that if she's going to save them, then she will need help from Superman. As I said, this was Jamal Eigel's last issue with the book, which was oh, really broke my heart, but I really, really, really liked Eigel and Gates. They made this Supergirl a must-read book, which I kind of mentioned before was kind of the problem with the Superman books at the time, that I was looking forward to Supergirl hitting the stands, and yet Superman would hit, and I am meh. Because this is kind of running alongside the, the Black Ring and Grounded, so awkward. And I really like Jamal Eigel. When I met him, he was very generous with his time. He shot the breeze with me. He's as funny as can be, very nice, very charismatic, and he's honest. He's a very true artist in every sense of the word. He went on to do various books, including Superman 713, the final issue. Currently, Jamal is working on a creator-owned project called Molly Danger, which was funded through Kickstarter, and I'm very proud to have contributed. And I'm a very, very proud card-carrying member of Dart, so please check out Jamal Eigel and Molly Danger. And with that, let us go to the climax of our story, Supergirl 57, the first post-Jamal Eigel issue. Amy Reader gives us our final cover, Supergirl looking very confused while she floats in space, meteors floating past her. We open with a recap and Kara studying a holographic message of Superman sharing what he learned on his visit to Bizarro World, and then, well, honestly, with you, I'll be honest with you, it all hits the fan. The Bizarro Justice League flies toward the godship, now walking on the surface of the planet, and they get decimated. But it's fun while it lasts. The members include a Bizarro Martian Manhunter, Firestorm, Hawkman, and Booster Gold. And my favorite, a Bizarro Arsenal wielding cats instead of arrows. Which is a shot at Arsenal wielding a dead cat in the rise and fall of Arsenal storyline, except here it actually, you know, makes sense. And then we rejoin our hero as she tries an idea. Since Superman gained new powers thanks to the blue sunlight, Supergirl believes that maybe history can repeat itself. And the result is an army of bizarro Kryptonians, and they fly to engage the godship with a huge battle ensuing. But Bizarro Girl gets scared and heads back to the fortress to hide. So Supergirl follows her, especially because now she knows that Bizarro Girl is the key to victory. She's the only one who has solid vision. And at the fortress, Supergirl and Bizarro Girl have a little heart-to-heart. -heart. Supergirl offers to be scared so Bizarro Girl can be brave because, you know, they're opposites. And there it is. There's the heart of the issue. Well, the heart of the story, actually. Amidst a set of panels splitting the two, Bizarro Girl admits that she isn't scared of her race going extinct. She's just worried about her cousin. And Supergirl sees herself and Bizarro Girl stretching back to the first issue in the story, realizing this mirror reflection is saying everything she felt at the start. So the two of them team up, and they have a plan, too. Using the blue sunlight, Supergirl is able to charge Bizarro Girl up, which allows her to use her solid vision on the godship repeatedly. It isn't easy. It takes hours to solidify the ship, 
with Supergirl charging Bizarro Girl over and over and over. And once again, she's using her brain, not her brawn, and it works. Supergirl is now in the role her cousin Superman performs for her. And it is very much like when somebody becomes a parent. Their perspectives change because now they have somebody else to take care of. Supergirl must step up to the plate and make sure that Bizarro Girl achieves her goal, which is saving an entire world. And after one more heart-to-heart about living with the things that one does, Kara with her kind of failure in New Krypton, Bizarro Girl with her killing, uh, Kara fires up the ship and decides that she has punished herself enough, and now she is going back to Earth. She's resolved and ready to take on her never-ending battle. And we take our leave of our friend Kara Zor-El. And here we are with some final thoughts. As a character, Bizarro has always been a great way to look at Superman. A dark mirror reflection. Um, at least when Bizarro is used correctly, he's a good dark mirror reflection. Other times he's just a brute strength or raging monster. But I think Bizarro should be sympathetic. Or he misses the mark. That doesn't mean he shouldn't be a threat, but he shouldn't be malicious. Now, these are thoughts I'm, you know, thinking about Bizarro, but I extend these very much to Bizarro Girl. Sure, when she first appeared, she killed a guy, but he was yelling, and she had just awakened to a planet that not only wasn't hers, it was the opposite of her world. Not that it excuses what she did. Don't take me as saying that at all. Um, But it does sort of bring it a bit into focus. Now, as a cipher of sorts to Supergirl, Bizarro Girl really, really did work. There were a few moments of heavy-handedness and telling rather than showing, but never to a point of obnoxiousness. And as I said, at the top of the show, Kara's journey and where she was at this point perfectly seamlessly lend themselves to this story of reflection. We needed to have this break to, to really propel the book forward. Unfortunately, Sterling Gates left two issues later, Um, but he made this a really great read. And while Bernard Chang wasn't bad in terms of art, he just wasn't Jamal Igle. Chang's line work was a bit too on the nose, and it completely lacked the subtlety of Igle's pencils, which occasionally took me out of the last issue in this final part of the story. Now, speaking of final issues, as I mentioned, Sterling Gates would remain on Supergirl for two more issues, kind of wrapping up his run with a Cat Grant story that he had been building to. And the book was one of the books I missed the most when the New 52 came out. However, I have to say the New 52 version of Supergirl has been a consistently great read. And I think it's because of this run. You know, Sterling Gates hit on something. The writer that followed him kind of echoed that. And Michael Green and Mike Johnson have really done a great thing of saying, okay, this is how you do Supergirl right. Let's take that and build upon it. That's another team I'm going to miss on that book. But that brings us to the end of a, of another installment of Superman Forever Radio. Before I go, um, it's been announced, the episode's out there. It's well known that one of my other Superman podcasts... The New 52 Adventures of Superman is coming to an end. Um, it will not, it will, the, I guess the final episode will still be due when this episode sees print or sees air. Um, I just want to reiterate kind of what we said there. The show's not ending because John and I are fighting. Um, it's not ending because we don't like doing the show. The fact is, sometimes real life really does get in the way. John has a, a family and responsibilities. 
he's tending to that, so I highly respect what he's doing. It is a show I'm going to miss a lot. Um, it's kind of changed my perceptions on the New 52. Because, you know, when, when the New 52 was announced, I'm not going to hedge around what I said. You know, I was very upset, very angry. Um, some of what I said I still stand by. Uh, my main feeling was that what I felt was that the money I was giving on the month-to-month basis on these books just wasn't good enough, and they're wanting to go to somebody else's pockets. I felt like I was one of the victims where the rug had been taken out under me. Having read all the current Superman books up to pretty much up to the present, I have to say my mind completely changed um, on one respect, that the quality of the books um, has been much better than expected. Grant Morrison was an interesting choice to reboot the early years of Superman. And of course the, the title itself, Superman went through a lot of really stop and go, stop and go writing creative teams before they finally settled on Lobdell and Roquefort and they are rocking it. They are rocking it out. I'm looking forward to see what Andy Diggle does, but I, I just wanted to reiterate that, you know, that John and I aren't fighting. It's a, it's just, it came up. Um, we're going out with our boots on. We're both going to miss the show a lot. But, you know, I made a really good friend out of the show. And I think John feels the same way. So I feel like we did a really, really solid podcast. It turned a lot of people's minds around on New 52. So I'm very proud of the work I did there. So I do want to point you over to new52superman.libson.com where you can listen to the entire show, which will be 45 episodes in total. Um, as for this show, next week... I'm going to be doing something a little bit different than I've done before. I'm going to be tackling the first story arc in the Digital First comic, Smallville Season 11. Mainly because Smallville isn't something that I've talked about on the show enough. So I'm going to touch upon that. It's going to be a great time. I'm really looking forward to it. I've caught up on that book. Uh, It's another book that I'm going to recommend. So, until next time, Superman and Supergirls, keep on fighting the never-ending battle. Superman Forever Radio is a NapWorld production. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, where you can leave a review. The show's episodes and extended show notes are available at supermanforever.com, where episodes premiere every Sunday. Episode postings can also be found at the supermanhomepage.com and at supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where you can find a wide variety of quality Superman podcasts for your listening pleasure. Email is always welcome. The address is mail at supermanforever.com. You can friend and follow the show at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio. And David is also on Twitter with the handle at superdaveweeder. Weeder is spelled W-E-T-E-R. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties of DC Comics or Wonder Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters are copyrighted properties of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Entertainment. All music and sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and copyrights remain with the copyright holder. No infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. As always, thank you so much for listening.